our Bibles, and we're turning over as a, just a jumping off space to Hebrews chapter 1. We want to begin a study of angels. It might take two or three weeks on this. It might take longer. Um, but uh, first of all, we want to we talk about the superiority of angels over people. We'll talk about that today. But uh, also, we want to make sure that we remember who is superior to all, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we begin in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also we are, he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made by himself, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he was, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So there's a mouthful of, there's a whole bunch of doctrine right there. Uh, First of all, we see that God in various times, in times past, he spoke through the prophets. We know that he used angels, he used dreams, uh, he used miracles. Sometimes he spoke directly to them in a burning bush or um, whatever. But now we see that he says he speaks to us through his son, and then we see by his word. And so we see that God speaks now through his word. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to whom? Hebrews. He's writing to Jews who would know the Old Testament. And God said that in various times he preached different ways, but now he speaks through his son, through his word. And of course, the word is the Jesus book. And so, we so in fact, we'll see this morning um, before the New Testament canon was closed, before God gave us the complete word of God, uh, we see that Paul tells us in a storm that God spoke to him through an angel. But that's the last time we see an angel. Well, actually, we see it with uh, John later on in the book of Revelation. But as far as the action, you know, as far as... Uh, you know, people that are in active service. Now, John was in active service, but he was in prison or, or in a, on an island. But as far as uh, angels assisting people or whatever, this is the last time we see it in the book of, uh, of Acts. And later on, or we see that, uh, or actually when, Peter, when John, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 13, he says, when that which is perfect is, do- is, is done, then that which is imperfect will pass away. And so we see that tongue shall cease, prophecy shall cease. In other words, anything outside of the word of God shall cease. So we test everything by the word of God. And so when someone comes to me, and I've had all kinds of things in my ministry where people tell me they've seen angels and they've seen the face of Jesus. The one that I remember most is a lady who came and said, the Lord, uh, I woke in there an angel was at my feet pouring water on my feet. And I was thinking, I think I asked her, I said, was, well, was your bed wet, you know, or whatever. But, uh, 
you know, just all kinds of things, that visions that people have. Well, these, our old minds are marvelous instruments that God has made. You realize that God even created thought. You have, a, you have the ability to think because God created that ability for you to think. That is unreal. You know, we didn't, before, before I was made, I didn't exist. I mean, how did the world get along without me? But now that I do exist, I'll exist forever. That's weird, isn't it? I mean, you think about, uh, you know, I the big event in my life, uh, five years before I was born, you know, World War II ended. And so, you know, that was a whole saga in itself. And I like to go back now on the Internet. And, uh, and of course, I'm, I love history. And just read about so many things that were happening during the time and before the time that I was born. And, uh, you know, I, I remember my dad, he would be talking about something uh, that happened. And I'd say, well, where was I? And he said, well, you weren't even thought of. And I'd go, really? You know, <laughs> I thought everybody thought of me since Adam, you know, or whatever. You know, because the world, you know, uh, we're the center of the world as far as we're concerned, especially the children. And so that always kind of, uh, how, did, how did this happen without me knowing about it, you know, and all that? But uh, we see that the Lord says that uh, in various times, in times past, God spoke through the prophets. Uh, but now he speaks to us through his son, through his word. And so whenever anybody says that God told me to do something, then, you know, it's more of an impression that God has placed in your heart. For instance, does God call people into the ministry? I think so. But we see that God says, if any man desires an office of a bishop, well, then who put that desire in you in the first place? And then for you to have that desire, then there has to be certain criteria that is in the word of God that said, okay, even if you have the desire, okay, you might be a minister, but you might not be able to be a pastor because of disqualification. And so that doesn't mean that you can't be a pillar of the church. It just means that you can't have the office of a pastor. So there again is God has, you know, a place for each one of us. Um, sometimes I wish he'd call me to be a pillar of the church rather than to be a pastor. I mean, you, you know, the guy in the pulpit is the one who gets shot at, you know. So I'd love rather for, hey, somebody else stand up here and get shot at for a while, you know. Uh, and I like what one of my... Uh, Good old Billy Blue. I was talking about him earlier. Uh, he's got cancer now. But after, whenever I resigned there in Michigan, one of the people that had, well, bringing him along, and he was um, serving the Lord, but just was always kind of a little bit out of it. Um, and always having to, you know, just didn't really want to, to, I don't know, I don't want to down him, other than the fact that he didn't want to do everything God told him to do. You know, and so um, later on, after I had left and Billy was the head of the pulpit committee and so forth, and there was a problem that came up with him. And all of a sudden, Billy had to tell the man no. And uh, he called me and he said, that's a hard thing to do. And I said, yeah, now, Billy, you understand you thought I was always hard on people, didn't you? And so and he said, man, that is, man, that's hard. That is, you know. So I'd a lot rather have someone else do it. But so, you know, that's all part of leadership. 
And so uh, as what uh, Harry Truman said, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Well, I've thought about getting out of the kitchen many times, you know, or wanting somebody else to take over. But uh, there again, we see that God speaks through his word. And so that's why many times I'll tell you, this is my opinion, because it, this is what I gather from. But if the word says it, then there's no question. We stand on the word of God. And so if it says it, then we don't doubt it. And so we see that God says that uh, he speaks to us through his word, and then he establishes the fact, and the one thing that he's going to say um, about all the way through the book of Hebrews is, Behold, I show you a better way. Of course, better than the Old Testament uh, uh, sacrifices and so forth because of the Lord Jesus. But, you know, he, he begins with the Lord Jesus. His word is power. He himself purged our sins. Notice, he by himself purged our sins. Only he. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sacraments, sacrifices, doing good, paying your alms, all that, none of that gets you to heaven. It's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who now is sitting at the right hand of God. And notice he is, there's that word again, better. Better than the angels. And so I don't, and notice he speaks to me, to me through his son. So I don't need angels to speak to me. And so he begins right off the bat with saying, you don't need angels. You need the word of God. And so does God uh, speak to us through his word? The more, that's the reason we want it to dwell in us richly because the Holy Spirit can take his word and apply it to our hearts and apply it to uh, decisions we make and so forth. We can test, in uh, 1 John, he tells us to test the spirits to see if they're of God. How do you test the spirit? Okay, this is what I feel like, or this is what somebody is saying, but if it differs from the word of God, which way do we go? The word of God. And so we always have to test everything. That's the reason we say that uh, the word of God is our final um, that's, that's, that's our final standard. That's what we stand on. And so um, we see he's better than the angels. So when we start off with the uh, study of angels, we've got to realize they're not superhuman beings that, or they're not super beings that uh, are super, superheroes that just swoop down and take care of us outside of the will of God. No, they are directed by the king of heaven. And there's nothing that escapes his notice and they do nothing that would betray his name or his will. And so we see that he is better than the angels. So we begin with Hebrews 1. And so he goes on and he explains. He says, um, uh, for you said, for which of the angels did he say, you are my son, today I've begotten thee. We looked at that. That's that great messianic psalm in Psalm 110. Uh, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Uh, and when he began, and and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, "Now the firstborn, the Jew understood exactly what that was. That was position, not birth order. The firstborn was the one who passed on the spiritual things to the next child. Remember, Joseph was actually the firstborn, and he was the eleventh because he got the double portion. You know, so." Uh, we see that, uh, um, and of course, uh, you look at all the problems in the Old Testament. Uh, 
Isaac was the second born, but he was the first born. Because of God, uh, Ishmael was the first born, but God God designated first born. You look, let's see, you know, kind of Abel. Notice how it's interesting studying two brothers in the Bible, all the way from Cain and Abel right on up through uh, Peter and James. It's kind of just to see. Uh, no, uh, Benjamin was it? Yeah, no, Benjamin was youngest. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, second, the eleventh. Yes. Reuben, and boy, did he blow it! I mean, he was unstable as water. I mean, the guy. Well, we won't get into it, other than the fact that uh, Reuben blew it, and he was no. And then Simeon and Levi, second and third, they blew it, and then uh, Judah blew it. As far as being firstborn, although God came back to Judah. I mean, we won't get into all that, but that's a whole study. See how much you can get into just in looking at one paragraph of the Bible? I mean, just how that it all connects. It all connects. And so that's one reason is when you're preaching, you really have to zero in because you can go off on all kinds of different things and try to take. And that's one reason today, this Sunday, uh, pray for me this morning because it's hard to cover 44 verses. But it's but it's a narrative, so you can't just zero in on one verse. So it's, uh, uh, but yet uh, all through it, you see the will of God. You know, I mean, right on. And but you don't allegorize it and say, well, these four anchors mean that uh, you know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Paul. Well, you know, all kinds of weird things that people come up with. No, uh, you just read it, and then you don't read anything into it. Does I like you know one? Uh, I was reading one time about a a man and his uh, wife, and they were having some trouble. And they went to the pastor, and uh, they were telling the pastor the problems they were having. And he said, you know what you need to do is you just need to march around your house like uh, uh, Joshua did at Jericho once a day. And they, you know, they did weird, you know. So they did everything he told them to do. And they said, you know, we still have problems. <laughs> you know? I said, well, that, that has nothing to do with marital conflict. Does that make sense? We'd, so that's the allegorizing. That's where people try to say, well, this is what this... No, if the Bible doesn't say it means this, so we have to be very careful that we inject what we think it means into the Bible. Does that make sense? Even with the, uh, um, with the parables, we have to be careful that we don't make parables allegories. In other words, um, well, boy, I'm getting off into things, but... Uh, uh, you know, you get into, and they'll say that so, this represents this. Well, uh, no, uh, it's a general story that you can, uh, about any walk of life, can apply it to their own lives. But uh, like uh, the Good Samaritan, you know, you got the old the people want, well, certain things represent the old and you tell. No, it just, it's a story being told. And it's, it talks about, yeah, the religious system. You know, the, the priest, but that just, I mean, that, that was a priest, you know, that uh, went by the wayside. And the good Samaritan, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't Jesus Christ, but he did have the qualities of Jesus Christ. I mean, and the bad thing about it, that old Samaritan was a reject from Israel. So he couldn't have been Jesus Christ because he, he was a Samaritan, not a Jew. So, you know, all this kind of stuff that you get into. So be careful of people that want to start representing and saying this represents this because, it, you know, that's their opinion. I hope we understand what we're saying. But when God says that uh, 
that he speaks to us now through his son, then what does he tell us? Who, who comes representing his son? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks through what? His word. And so God will never tell you to do something that is outside of his word. Never. And so I've had people tell me, oh, God told me to do this or what. Now, there are certain times that you really feel, you know, and I feel compassion and I want to do something. for. Well, I feel like that's the Holy Spirit prompting me. Uh, but I like my old Lester Roloff, that old crusty Texan preacher used to, uh, he example, where a guy walked up to him after service one time and gave him a pair of shoes and said, the Lord told me to give you these shoes. And old Lester thanked him and put him under his shoulder and, or under his arm and walked off. The guy said, well, aren't you going to try them on? And he said, well, if the Lord told you to give them to me, they'll fit. You know, so it's one of those things that, you know, if God tells you to do something, it's going to happen. And so be careful of people that God told me to do this, God told me to do this, or I got a word from the Lord. Uh, Dobson, James Dobson used to have people on his uh, radio show that would say a lot about the, the Lord gave me this word. Well, you know, we have to be careful with those things. And that gets into the charismatic movement that, that a lot of times James Dobson was in. And so I would differ with him on those things. But there were some godly people, you know, on there. But there again, uh, you have to be careful with that because some of the people he had on there, you know, they had their problems later on. So, uh, But there again, that's true with everybody. I mean, you're going to find that I'm, I have problems. But the thing about it, test me through the word. And, don't, and, you know, if I say something that is wrong or you see that it's weird, if I put Moses in the ark, then you better come and talk to me about it, you know, because Moses wasn't in the ark. He, you know, he built the ark. But uh, Noah built a different ark and was in the ark, you know. So if I, if I put things and if I mess things up or if I tell you the Lord tells me to do something, well, you have every right to challenge me on it. And that's the reason, you know, if I say to the church, I feel like God's wanting us to do this. Well, I'm going to prove my point to my people because they're, they're guided by the same Holy Spirit that I am. Does that make sense? You cannot, do not take anybody's word for it whenever they tell you, well, God told me to do this. Okay, well, good. Let's sit back and see what God told you. And so if God told you to punch me in the face, I don't think so. You know, so it's one of those things where, uh, you know, just we have to be careful with, uh, with the, what people say that God told them to do. And so in saying that, we're, be, we're starting now the study of angels. Paul, we see then that uh, angels are mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament and 165 times in the New Testament. So there's more angelic activity in the New Testament in a much shorter testament than there were in the Old Testament, which was about three times as long. So it's uh, interesting how uh, that is. Uh, The number of angels, uh, in fact, uh, uh, we see it both. It's interesting how many times you'll see both Daniel and Revelation. Uh, We're talking about angels. And, uh, of course, John and Daniel are the two key people or two of the key people, main key people, about the last things. It's interesting how many times they saw angels. And so, of course, we saw 
the angels mentioned in the book of Revelation more than any other book in the Bible uh, with John. But even back in the book of Daniel, let's see, I didn't, um, oh my, I thought I had it marked. Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, uh, he's talking about uh, uh, the angels who, uh, that was talking to him. He says, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand, uh, a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Now, where do we hear that? In the book of Revelation also. Now, let's do some math. He says thousands, thousands, a thousand thousands. How many is that? It's a million, right? But a, th- a thousand thousands, plural, is millions. But then he says 10,000 times 10,000. Now we're getting into billions of angels. And so we see that Daniel uh, said that there were many angels. And of course, we see in Revelation chapter 5, the Lord sitting on the throne and the angels around the seraphim and so forth. And we'll get into all those different seraphim and, uh, and uh, um Okay, what's the other one? Cherubim. Cherubim, cherubim and uh, seraphim. Pastor's moment there. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about that later on. But, uh, you know, there are different positions, different duties of angels. But there's billions of them. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So are the angels around us? Yes. So, but do we look to the angels and say, oh my, where's that angel? No, we don't know. God doesn't tell us, but he does tell us he's the captain of the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the captain of the the Lord of hosts. He's the captain of hosts, the host of heaven. In other words, uh, he's the captain over it. And that's why he says when uh, when he tells us that, that he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word resist is a very interesting word. It's scary because it says he marshals his forces against us. Lord, if I'm for you, then the angels are working with me. If I'm working against you, you got that angel there that you know, only takes one because you know, they're more superior than I am. But if you're working your forces against me, I'm in trouble. So isn't it good to walk, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. It's good to be walking and marching with the angels rather than against them, isn't it? We, have, we won't know, have any idea until we get to heaven what it means to resist the Lord's grace. I mean, just the things that are going on that, we, that we're going to be seeing uh, even today. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it deeper. Uh, we know in Matthew 22, verse 30, uh, the Lord says uh, there will be no marriage nor giving in marriage. There's a, big, a unique difference between angels and humans. The Lord told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He did not do that with the angels. They are individually created. That's why some of them have six wings, some four, some two, some don't have any. Some have face of a man, some have a face that looks like an ox or whatever. Boy, I don't know. Everything that God makes is beautiful, but uh, 
I don't understand that. I won't get into it too deeply. But, uh, you know, God makes his different, different angels. And by the way, all angels are, are of the masculine gender. They're always he. Oh, she's an angel. Well, I know what you mean. Uh, but uh, today, I guess those uh, transgender guys think that they're an angel, but whatever, you know, weird stuff. But uh, no, uh, uh, there's neither marriage nor giving in marriage. So that means that every angel is unique or is uh, peculiar to man because man reproduces where angels don't. And so when we get to heaven, we won't become angels, but we won't be, I mean, our procreation days will be over. You know? So we won't be having children or grandchildren in heaven. Now they will be, of course, that's the big difference between heaven and the millennium. Because in the millennium, there's going to be a lot of children, population explosion. So again, we see there's the people that try to rule out the millennium and just say that the millennium, actually, when it's talking about the desert, you know, blossoming as a rose, that's all heaven. No, it's two different places. And uh, so we see there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ. And so we see then that uh, there's many of them. They are individually created. They are all male. And one of the interesting things is that they are very interested in our redemptive welfare. Because the Bible says, and Jesus says, of course, notes he's speaking to us through his word. So Jesus said this, um, Luke fifteen ten. there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that comes to repentance. So the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one person who gets right with God. Does that mean that whenever I confess my sins, get right with God and and you know, forsake my sins that there's up in, angels up in heaven going, am I not surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses? Hebrews chapter 12. There's a lot of angels up there that might be pulling for me. If there's billions of them, then maybe there's a couple that God's got assigned to me. Lord, if you do, please have someone that like me. You know, so... <laughs> you know, so. That is, a, a, there again, you're getting into the things that we don't totally understand. It's a different level. Why did God allow Satan to stop him until that time? Even when the sovereignty of God, God uses Satan to stop his angels for certain times. We'll be talking about the storms of life this morning. God called Paul to, uh, to uh, Rome. Well, he went through assassination attempts and everything else. It wasn't just a, he got in a canoe and, and paddled there. And yet, why, why did all, you go through all that? Why do you go through the, what's that? And snake bitten? Oh, I know, snake bitten and everything else. I mean, the guy just, I mean, yeah, I, that's why I say, I was mentioning, kind of gave you a preview of the message this morning. You look at the passage, and because why did God put it in there? Obviously, the Bible is uh, profitable for reproof, for doctrine. So why is God trying to teach us through that? And so that's the reason we preach it, is because God put it there. But why is it one of the longest passages in the entire New Testament? You know, there again, 
you know, we go through extended periods of stormy weather in our lives, do we not? And boy, just see how I'm applying it without saying, okay, the boat represents the Lord Jesus. And I didn't do that. But, it, you know, it can represent the Lord because, you know, we get on the, you know, let's get on his boat. But there again, that's not what the, what the Bible says. But it does tell me that I can learn a lot about Paul. And that's one thing that's kind of pulled me through is uh, there have been times when I just didn't know where to turn, but I just knew God called me. You ever been there? Lord, I don't know what's going on. I mean, it seems like everything is falling apart. All I know is I'm hanging on for dear life with you. I've had people come to me, and I think of a very, very godly person who came to me one time in my ministry when I first got there, and she said, uh, Pastor, we're hanging on by our toenails. And now, you know, she's got grandchildren that are serving the Lord. You know, so what a blessing that is to see. But at that time, they were thinking about quitting. You know, but there again, you don't quit if you, you know, when you serve the Lord. And so, again, we see that uh, um, each one of them. So there again, what I'm trying to say, even I'm going, maybe I'm going back and forth. Maybe I need to structure my my Sunday school a little bit more so that I'm not going all over the place. But, but I don't want to give you three points in a poem. I'm trying to get you to, to give me some feedback and so forth. And, you know, I'm glad that you are. And a lot of times all you're doing is shaking your head or whatever. But that helps me. It helps me see that I'm getting across to you. And so, uh, so give me this every once in a while. If you give me this, then I know that I'm in trouble. But, uh, you know. But uh, I look back at my wife, and I know if she's smiling at me, then I probably made a mistake. No. <laughs> no. I've always said, Pastor, I, you know, I'll get people up, and they'll pray, or they'll be up in front, and they'll make it. And my wife was just smiling at me. I said, and then later on, she tells me the mistakes I was making. I said, well, that's basically what it is. You know, you're, <laughs> that's what your wives are there for, is to smile at you. <laughs> but uh, there again. And so... Um, but they are interested in our redemption. But then in Hebrews chapter 3, and this is one that really captivated me. Let's, no, excuse me, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Let's turn back to that. Do you think that God is watching over this church today? Does he have his angels watching over us today? In Ephesians chapter 3, of course, the, Peter, uh, Paul is talking about the revelation of the church that God had given him. And, of course, the whole book, first three chapters of Hebrews. Boy, am I starting off the week. Well, the first three chapters of Ephesians deal with the doctrine of the church. And then the last three chapters deal with the practical, uh, the, the practice of people within the church. But in chapter three of um, Ephesians, we see um, that he says, and let's begin in verse 8. He says, to, to me, who am less than least of all the saints, this grace was given that I would preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to all see what is the fellowship of that mystery. And he's talking about the church. It was a mystery until God has revealed it today, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. So, we see that Abraham didn't know a thing about the church. 
Isaiah didn't understand a thing about the church. That is why when people say the church of the Old Testament, watch out because they're probably all millennial, which means that they don't believe and they just put the church and everything all together. And then you get into situations today where they call it replacement theology, and that is the church has replaced Israel. No way! God still has his plan for Israel. Amen? They're still God's chosen people. We have not replaced Israel. We are not the new Israelites. They're two different institutions. Uh, that's part of what we're getting. That's part of the, the new... Well, it actually, it's a lot of the Reformed. The Reformed thought, actually came out... Reform mean they were trying to reform the Catholic Church. And so the Catholic Church, of course, was going to be all... Catholic means always, everywhere, by all, which means worldwide. And so the church was going to become the universal church over the whole world and is going to usher in heaven or whatever else. Well, we've... So, uh, you know, Luther and Calvin, they were running for their lives. They really helped us solidify what justification by faith is all about. But they didn't get into eschatology, which is doctrine of last things, and so that just kind of lasted. So the Lutherans and Presbyterians and people that are Reformed never really, really got into eschatology uh, that much. Now, when I say that, until the 1800s, and then a lot of things started changing. But that's a whole, that's a whole study in itself, and I think we've to gone through it again. But, uh, you know, if you talk to the average Lutheran, they think there's going to be a judgment day coming. Right, uh, uh, Linda? When they're just going to be a big ju- judgment day for a Lutheran. There's not really going to be all this, all this stuff about a millennium and all. No, man, that's not going to happen. That's what they'll tell you. And a lot of Presbyterians, like, although I had a Presbyterian theologian as a teacher who was right straight down. In fact, he taught me eschatology. And he was, you know, so there, there again, you don't blanket a Presbyterian just like you don't a Baptist. There's some Baptists that handle snakes, and folks, that's not me, you know. So, I mean, I run from them. And so, uh, again, we see that he says he created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that this is a just, really, when I saw this verse, it just blew my mind. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now, the manifold wisdom of God is the multifaceted wisdom of God. God is teaching his wisdom to principalities and powers. We'll see that those are ranks of angels. So God is teaching the ranks of angels about his wisdom through this church. Weird. I mean, astounding. What can I teach Michael? What can I teach any of them? Whatever it is, I hope it's good. Or either man, he's saying, you know, that dumb guy down there, I'm going to show you what I can do in spite of him. You know, I think the Lord has a sense of humor at times. And I think the angels have to too because they say, Lord, are you sure this guy is really, you know. Because you ever feel like maybe the angels are laughing at us? <laughs> you know? There again, they're serious, and I'm not wanting to make too light of it, but I think you understand what I'm saying. And so, uh, but the eternal purpose of God, he's teaching through you and me in this church. 
That is just astounding to me. He says, which he accomplished through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. That's a, there's that favorite word of mine again, access. I have access to God through Jesus Christ. And in spite of all the angels, I still go directly to the Lord. And the Lord, with his court, tells the angels what to do. No, he doesn't need to tell the angels what to do, but he doesn't tell me what doesn't need to tell me what to do, but he chooses his creation to perform his purposes. He can, you know, the Lord can make, you know, my car crank up and come to church without me. But he chose not to do it that way. God could choose just to open up the windows of heaven and show people that they need to be saved, but he hasn't chosen to do that. He's chosen to use you and me to do it. Uh, I don't understand all that. But then again, he's got the angels out there cheering us on. I won't know totally what that means until I get to heaven. But it's, it's interesting. See, we're talking about mysticism here. What's mysticism? Things that we don't understand. It's not that we are mystics and that we, I don't want to dwell on things I don't understand the one thing that makes me not a mystic, uh, a mystic is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised. If I start messing around with angels and all these different things, I get myself so mad because I don't know what I'm talking about. But the more I know about my Savior, the more solid I am. My, my hope is built on nothing less or no one less than whom? Jesus Christ, let's see, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Is that it? Okay. I know my hope is built on nothing less than Schofield's notes and references. No, not, not that, but <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, no, we believe, you know, but if you get your mind on angels or demons or any of these things, you'll get so messed up and mystic, you won't be an earthly bit of good. You'll be all over the place. So we keep our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what we said back in Hebrews. It's through him he speaks through his word. So don't say, Lord, send this angel and let him speak to me. No, God will speak to us through his word. So if you really want to know what he says, dive into his word and just start praying and asking God to show you things. And now that doesn't mean if, uh, I mean, as you read the word, what will happen, it starts germinating in your mind. And all of a sudden you're starting to get the mind of Christ. So you don't just go, okay, Lord, Isaiah, okay, whatever you tell me to do here, you know. Um, okay, the Bible says uh, Judas went out and hung himself. Oh, boy, that's not what I want. Okay. Mm. Go thou and do likewise. No, no, you know. No, that's not the way that you read the word of God. So we see that the more, how do, what is the basis of our belief? If the church is God's institution and God's revealing to the angels his manifold wisdom of God, what should the church be doing? The preaching of the cross is to them that, fool, that, that perish is foolishness. But to us that are saved, it is the power of God. So we begin with the pulpit and work outward. Amen. What? 
Jesus' blood and righteousness. Okay, there again. Sunday morning is, I mean, well, my wife has always, because I'll start singing in the shower or whatever, and I'll start off on verse number one and get to verse number four, all in, you know, the same verse. And she's going, ah, as a musician, you know, so just, about, you know, or, or whatever. So, uh, and so, see what she had to do? She had to go back and look it up herself. <laughs> After I see, I mess her up, and then she can't think of what it is. You know, I know what it is, but you've messed me up. You know, so, so that's what I mean. But uh, that's fun, isn't it? Really, I mean, that's what it's all about. Is I know what I know what I'm trying to say, but I can't say it. So yet, to, so then I get somebody else thinking about it, and gets them thinking on the Word of God or on a song, and so it comes out. Isn't that fun the way it is? God even uses our messed up brains to make us really dive in to find out what it really says. Yes. Uh, that is the omniscience of God and omnipotence of God, and I have no idea. Why does good, why do bad things happen to good people? That, uh, Job asked that. You know, and his his, uh, his friend said, "Because you're a sinner." Well, uh, no. Uh, as far as I know, <laughs> you know, there's nothing worse than for me to be having problems. And you come to me and tell me, you know, it might be because you're demon-possessed or because you're outside the will of God or because remember what you did back 50 years ago and it's coming back to roots now. Now, you can, a lot of times as a pastor or as a Christian, you can see the patterns of people's lives. And you can see that even though they've gotten right with God, something in their past has held them back from something. But you don't keep reminding of that. Because that's under the blood. And what God can do is take that, that curse and turn it into a blessing. Time after time. Remember Simeon and Levi. Levi was cursed. You'll never be, you'll never own any of the land. And yet, some of the greatest people in the history of Israel came out of Levi. John the Baptist, Elijah, Elisha. You're talking about Levi the priest? Moses. No. No, Levi, the fourthborn. Remember, he he, uh, he committed murder, and God said, "You'll never, you'll never have the inheritance of the land." But God turned it into a blessing, and they became the priestly tribe. I've seen people. I mean, I think of some of the uh, some of the people with some of the worst past in my ministry. I mean, some things where you know they met in the bar room or whatever else. They you know all kinds of different things. And they became some of the pillars of the church. And their kids or grandkids now are serving God. That's what God can do. So you don't go back and keep reminding those people of their past. Right? Okay, so, well, okay. My, see, uh, I love the Word of God, and maybe I need to be a little bit more structured because we don't get through this, but uh, I like discussing it. And did we, did we hit any nerve? Did we, did we do any good this morning? I hope so. Uh, just let's meditate on the Word of God. And sometimes that means not having a total structure. But uh, that's what we're doing now. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Word, dear Lord, because you are the Word. And so, Lord, as your thoughts are not our thoughts and our ways are not your ways, but, Lord, you've given us the way and the truth and the life through your Word. 
So Lord, we pray now that we will walk in the light as you are in the light and that your blood will cover us, will cleanse us from all of our sins. Lord, give us wisdom and may you show the angels the wisdom that you give us and the manifold, the multifaceted faceted wisdom of God. Bless your church, Lord. May it go forth with power. Lord, may the angels be working with us and not against us. Bless your church. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.